Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Pete Bean Pete podcast. Now, check it out. On this episode is a very first for me. Um, my guest today is someone I've known for, it seems like, forever and is literally coming up on uh, 30 years that we've known each other. So uh, we, we, I'm going to let, I'm going to let George, who is, who's my guest today, uh, basically talk about how, you know, how we got to know each other and all that stuff. And, and his, uh, he is one of the people I know that when it comes to all this stuff, uh, probably has his stuff together, uh, while also being, uh, well, let's just say action packed. So Georgie, how are you doing this morning, brother? Hey, I'm I'm very well. Thanks, Pete. Yeah. So hey, we ran in I guess it was like ninety five, ninety six. Was it ninety six? Ninety six, man. It would have been ninety six. I just got into Germany coming out of beautiful Fort Polk, Louisiana. Oh yeah. And uh we we ended up going to the big maneuver area where the army gets together to do their, their laser tag wars. The laser tag. Yeah, you you had we had talked about music a little bit, just bumping into each other. You were driving around the platoon sergeant, I think, at the time. Yeah, yeah, and damn near vegan, began yourself to death. <laughs> um, yeah, for those who don't know, at that time, the military was not so user friendly for people who wanted to make choices for themselves. No, they weren't. You had you had one bag of food. And you had one way of doing things. Um, and thankfully, through people like Pete and others actually showing up and going, hey, there's more to the world than just this, you know. Um, yeah. And, and over time, people people, people got better at listening to each other and, and supporting each other about stuff like that. Yeah, so, they did. And, and I mean, yeah, <laughs> damn near did kill myself. But yeah, I guess so, right? Yeah, I mean, there's only so much protein you can get, you know, when you need it. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't there, man. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, but then we we went to Bosnia together. So yes, we did that too. Separate camps, and we were truly some other frozen chosen down there. Woo, yeah. Um, and then Schweinfurt, Schweinfurt, Schweinfurt. This part of Germany that we're in in northern Bavaria. And music stuff together off and on. Yep. But some shared interest in music things too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's pro- that's that's the thing that always kind of tied us together. I guess in the end was our was our mutual love for our mutual love for uh, yeah for music and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a common thing too. Is uh, it's one of those when you want to be a musician and a soldier or a leader of soldiers, uh, you're often told things you you can't or shouldn't be doing. Um, and as soon as somebody does that, my hackles are up and it's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, not in a, not in a negative jump off the bridge kind of way, but if it's a challenge against the bit of a system that is a, a system of systems, um, it's worth doing just yeah. to show others that you can do more than left, right, left, you know? Yeah, of course. And the, uh, how, how should we say the army? Uh, I won't say is responsible, but is is uh, is a huge piece of uh, a lot of the issues you deal with now. Correct? Oh yes, of course. Huh? I mean, it, 
had some form of traumatic event even early yeah in the army there was a a kid mechanic i was getting ready to go to the primary leadership development course so when you go to school to be a sergeant and uh i come walking into the area where our laundry room is and here's this kid on the floor just this big old puddle of blood and uh i grab my my aid bag and stuff and call the paramedics and they come and i got him patched up a little bit and stopped the bleeding but it turned out the dude was hit with a hammer in the back of the head and somebody stole his wallet and this was on base you know of yeah. all things yeah and the next day i go off to this school and i caught myself washing my hands like every 15 20 minutes anytime there was a smoke break which was you know at least once an hour yeah, i was washing my hands again and they were never getting clean you know and i was like oh this is a different world you know the smell is still there uh, the gelatinized blood you know um but i worked through it of course you know and one of those points of working through it was i didn't have time to dwell on it because you're in a very um controlled environment where you have to jump these jumps at this order and if you don't make it in the time period or you miss the jump uh, you fail or you have to start way back in the beginning which is not pleasant um, no no it's, it's really not yeah and then you know we were in bosnia and kosovo kosovo there were some issues in kosovo with uh i think this would be almost more guilt driven we used a lot of cluster bombs and when the aircraft is not ex plus or minus a few meters the dud rate of the bus cluster bombs goes up so yeah. they don't all explode and we got caught out with these kids who were throwing this blue 97s back and forth and one of them detonated and killed the kid um which wasn't nice of course not you know no um when no. you go out there and you, and you see what's left out there you know and then you make a concerted effort to to find these things you know and, and educate the people and basically touring towns and schools and talking about this stuff, you know. Um, but that all really prepared me for what would later come. Yeah, the big Iraq. stuff. So yeah. yeah, by the time we went into Iraq of 0304, um, at that point I had had, it was in Haiti, Bosnia, Kosovo three times. So I'd already had five deployments with some level of stresses that had been temp tempering, I guess is the word I would want to use um my psyche and what to expect for an experience right and had been to all these huge training events that um actually probably do the best part of preparing a person for dealing with the mechanics are of war you know not not defacing it or making it simple right but so you have have the tools to to lead your soldiers and you're not just leading them you don't just stand there like napoleon and tell them what to do and in, in the, our army, you're doing it with them. Yeah, just of course. The way it should right. be. You don't yes. stand back and just, you know, launch them as cannon fodder like some other nations do. Um, so we come into Iraq, and the level of conflict was decreasing, but the level of counterinsurgency stuff was increasing. So yeah. after defeating the Iraqi army, of course, you're a, a country occupying another country. And, you know, there's a pretty good chance people don't like that. Really? Um, yeah, there's a good chance, a good chance. Um, so they were starting to use 
explosive devices, which just call it a roadside bomb or a booby trap. Um, and Saddam had buried tons and tons of munitions all over Iraq. So there was people who knew where this stuff was, you know, and, and I'd be out there on the road and one week I'd be, I'd be finding like a, a 122 millimeter round that's made in Yugoslavia. And, and the next day, these incredibly monstrous rounds that are coming from South Africa. And this stuff is just buried everywhere. Um, and naturally that leads to maimed, hurt, killed um, soldiers or, you know, the, the locals. Um, and, and, you know, 20 years of this stuff, you know, uh, two deployments to Afghanistan, one of those, or excuse me, to Iraq, one of those was 15 months. Right. And that was time of the surge when, you know, I had gone from being a platoon sergeant, a leader of 30 odd guys. Right. To a staff job. And I'm watching other folks that I had known doing the same things, but coming back with way more casualties and deaths. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you're, you're screaming inside, you know, that this, what if that was my kids, you know, or something, it's somebody's children out there, you know? Um, and that was really, really hard, you know, and you had to realize it's always compounded that the, these things don't happen except where the Americans are going. Yeah. Um, and it's not just the Americans that are getting injured. It's, it's passerbys, you know, with their families and stuff. Um, there was a, a road that we used to keep clearing for logistical patrols that would bring the food and stuff to the different bases. So we would go out one way, you know, it's, you know, a, a good three hours of, of clearing the road and finding two or three bombs here and there. Um, and then we would lay overwatch in spots, the overwatches we were keeping an eye on, um, spots that we knew the guys would come back after we'd just been there and put bombs in the ground. Cause we would go and you'd find areas where the soil was hard packed and then areas where, why, look at this. It's all really soft in this like one foot diameter circle right. the guys would dig the hole and fill it back in and after you go by they go and fill it put another bomb in there so we would catch the guys doing that um and in one of these when we were coming back we were really close to our, our camp and there was a car in front of us that we came on and it was obviously it hit a bomb you could see the crater and we go inside carefully clearing the area and there's a little blood here and there no people, but little kids' shoes without the little kids in them. Yeah. And and these things sit in you, you know. Yeah, right away, you're like, you know, if we hadn't been driving this road so often, there's a likelihood that that bomb wouldn't have been put there. Yeah. And then, of course, did we miss it the first time, or did they put it there afterwards? Right. You know? Yeah. Um, And, you know, all these memories stack up, you know. So of I course. did just a little over 20 years of this stuff and didn't consider myself to be in an altered frame of mind than I was when I started the adventure. Right. Um, or what the perceived impact was. Right. Um, but after I came back from Iraq the second time, I, I called him, called him my house father. My landlord was a sociology professor, professor. Boy, that DS is not going to help that one. No, it's not. And, 
he looks at me and says, George, you seem very different this time. And that's, you know, things were weighing in on my head. You know, they were sitting right. there. Um, but I took stock of it, you know, and um, realizing, of course, over a lifetime, I've, I've probably got more issues than National Geographic, but they're well organized on the shelf. They are. And look, I, I, I want to tell people something real quick. So as long as I've known George, you know, I've always been kind of uh, amazed at the fact. So when, when Pete deals with his issues, I deal with them and this frantic kind of, holy shit, the world is kind of collapsing around me. And George, when he has his issues, he's one of the most compartmentalized people I've ever met. So, you know, George not only knows, you know, what's happening to him, but he knows the 16 reasons why it's happening to him. And he can explain it all to you, which is, which is something that I've always been absolutely, uh, I've, I've been amazed by is your level of being able to understand what's happening to you and your, your level of being able to, okay, this is what's happening to me, you know, X, Y, and Z. Now let me do, you know, A and B so that, you know, it lessens what's, what's happening. And I mean, obviously you still have the issues, but your your way of breaking it down and understanding it, it is is just for me. I mean, it, it's something I've always been absolutely. Uh, I don't think astounded by, but I, I've I've just been I've been blown away by is, is your uh, ability to basically understand what's happening to you. Well, <laughs> it's part of that to me is is uh, like very early when when I was eleven, my father was murdered. Right. Um, which of course is traumatic. And, you know, you went I'm, from second to second. How did this happen um, to selfishly? Why did it happen to me um, to later in life, realizing it was decisions that he had made that got him in those circumstances in the first place. Right. And that really made me a little more intuitive and self-aware of, where my emotions and decisions can lead me. Um, and of course, you know, the, the first step of, in avoiding a, a trap is knowing that it's there in the first place. Right. Um, so I know some of these things um, that can trigger an emotional based stress or PTSD kind of thing. Um, right. Huge one. I mean, for me over here, we, live, we both live in Germany and we have a Braten as a roast and a Schweine Braten as a pork roast. Believe it or don't, a pork roast being grilled smells strikingly similar to pulling the charred body of someone you knew out of a burnt Bradley fighting vehicle. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's a horrible thing. And it's when you, I close my eyes, it's not nice. Uh, it's just not nice. Of course. Um, and of course, these things have happened multiple times, you know? Yeah. Um, at the time that it does happen, you know, you have other things you're dealing with. You know, you have to, you've got the area secured. You've destroyed the tow missiles that ejaculated out of the tank that were off there all dangerous to everybody. Right. Um, and you have to wait for this thing to cool before you peel the top of the tank open like a can opener. Yeah. Um, and that stuff comes back and it always comes back to some extent. Um, and as life went on, 
it never went away, of course. And I honestly think there were probably eight or nine years where I didn't sleep the whole night because I'd be startled awake from one of these experiences that have just crept into your head. Right. Um, it's like it's like intrusive thoughts. Like uh, yes, something that's negative usually hangs on and shows up brighter in your memory for some reason. Um, for me, that's not with all people, of course. We can all do our Mickey Mouse Disney dance, and and that's what you hold on to. But sometimes, you know, especially with the trauma of losing my dad while I was young, um, those darker memories come in. Yes, um, which I. I I've seen it with people that were sexually abused or abused as children. You see it in their faces, you yeah. know, that what, what the trauma is. Um, and when I, I came back from Afghanistan in 2012, um, I'd had a, a, a gig with the, the lovely 570th Sapper company. And we were like the only engineer guys working with a, a Marine Corps unit only army engineer guys. Um, and so we were there for a year. And while we were there, it was the same things that had happened in Iraq. Um, guys would, would find a roadside bomb the hard way. Um, and there's people out there whose philosophy was, I don't want to wait for the guys to come and clear the road in front of me. We're just going to do it by braille, which is (laughs) you drive till you hit something, which is yes. Yeah. It's not the way. It's not a. It's a way. It's a way. It's okay, not the always, way. You know, and that has to be dependent on what. You know, you're doing this cost-benefit analysis in your head. Um, are you going to lose a terrorist guy because you waited too long to get there? Um, that would be a a reason to, to surpass the, having the route cleared. Right. But it's you know it, it doesn't work, man. You always have this. Of course, we might not have found it um, if we had gone ahead of them, but more than likely we would have. Yeah. Um, and, and these things sit in your head. So after after 20 years, I come back and when you go to retire, they do these like really thorough mental and physical checks and things. And I was talking to this psychologist and he's, he's listening to me, he's listening to me and he's like, do you still have these intrusive dreams? I'm like, yeah, it's just a fact of life. He's like, it, it doesn't have to be a fact of life. And I was like, yeah, really? And of course, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's been there so long. Of I don't course. mean it to be sarcastic, but that was really what I said. No, to this man. Yeah. And, and, and it's right because I mean, I know, I know for myself too, going through therapy, you know, people, they're like, well, it doesn't have to be this way. And you know, you, you it's kind of hard not to kind of chuckle or, or have that response because you're like, okay, cool. You know what I mean? It, it, but it, you saying that is not going to make it go away. Yeah. Nobody's going to wiggle the nose bewitched and it's all better. Exactly. It's showing our age here. Yeah. 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 So we were sitting there talking. He's like, honestly, man, all these things that you've had going on that the PTSD is it's developed into an anxiety disorder and you haven't even realized it. So, you know, of course, he's a learned man. I mean, this guy's got not just the book smarts, but he had been doing this with these soldiers, yes, since, soldiers sure. yep. you know, for, for more than a decade. He wasn't a young, you know, young captain guy who'd been promoted three times, you know. Um, he says, I have something I'd like you to try to do. So do you have any 
other experiences other than soldiering where you would witness some kind of trauma? It's like, well, yeah, when I was in junior high, we were driving to Oregon and we drove by a car accident where a, a Volkswagen Beetle convertible had rolled and there was a woman lying on the ground and she was in obviously pain. I could hear her screaming um, as we drove by and the, the people were, it just happened. People were just trying to hold her still. So if she had had a neck injury or something, um, is okay, take that. And here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to sit here with me, take as long as you want and write by hand at least one and a half pages of that story. But think about the most intrusive things from memories in combat and slide those in there and somehow put a happy ending on it. And I'd say happy, I mean, my yeah, thoughts of, of happy was- of course. You came away with most of your limbs. Yes. And that was what was going on. So I wrote written, wrote this thing down. And what I did is I, I kept myself in uniform, but my uniform was as an EMT, as an ambulance person. And we got called up to a accident on the freeway where a car full of with children in it had collided with the back of a motorhome. And the motorhome had caught fire. So I had written this out. You know, and the important things were the fire of the motorhome threw in the smells of right the plastics and the metals that experienced in combat with vehicles, um, the screaming children, of course. Um, and I'd written this script out, and it was it was pretty in depth. You know, the the guy in the motorhome had smashed his head through the windshield. The kids were all okay, but there was one person in the front of the car that we had to pulled out that it had been burned and we did the appropriate things that you do as an EMT um, and they all made it out of this and that was my trade-off from real life and he sits there and he reads it he's like is there anything you can add for for sound or smells that you need to really write in here and I put in little little quotations you know pork roast grill um, the, the tearing sound and the screeching of metal is something that we all know it when, it, when you hear yeah. tires locking up, you're already clinching, anticipating the sound of the metal smashing, you know? Yeah. Um, so I wrote that stuff in there. And what he said to do was every night before I go to bed, read it to myself at least two or three times. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, it's it's not brainwashing, but it's kind of brainwashing. Um, and I was I was a little bit skeptic. And you know, this is I'd only been out of Afghanistan for like five or six days at this point when he when I started doing this. And so I, I read through it. And after about a week, I found that the those dreams or quote nightmares we're becoming a little bit less. And I'm not saying that this is, it could of course be the placebo effect because he did tell me, right, you know, hey, this, this could work. And if you have some 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 hope, you project that forward into what's coming too. Of course. Um, and actually felt those dreams becoming less and less over about three or four weeks. Um, yeah, it was right before August. And 
I was sleeping better. I was still waking up, um, but not always for that reason. Of course. Um, And there's sometimes I couldn't remember, but most cases I remember very specifically what the trauma was that got me up. Um, And over time, it, it had gotten better. Now, there's still things out there that will, I'm going to use the term trigger, trigger right. these these emotional responses in a dream because of something that happened during the day. Sure. Um, and that's something that I just kind of, yeah, there, there it is, but it's not there forever. Um, and I'll, I'll occasionally, probably two or three times enough, I'll have a, a month, excuse me. I'll have a, a dream that it's just, you know, it's just nothing I can do about it, you know? Of course. Um, and you stand up and look at it, you know, and, and I, I wake up in my day and and continue. Um, but over the last, I don't think I've, I don't think I've reused that script in probably six or seven years now. Right. Because it, it was very effective off the block. Um and I think it kind of helped set some momentum where I could go back to having, you know, normal dreams like uh, s- still skateboarding in the irrigation ditches, you know, back in California, sure. even though I'm 50 something years old. Um, but I still wake up with that, that feeling, you know, right. I, I could wake up from the a feeling of this bad dream where it's just daunting and everything hurts all over. Um, or I could wake up from this other style dream where, yeah, I, I feel my muscles are a little sore from that crazy stuff I was doing. Um, but this, what he had me doing really seemed to be a bit effective. Well, that's awesome, man. And I mean, that that's cool. So look, I'm, I, what we're going to do is we're going to make you a two-parter because there is something else very specific that me and you experienced that I want to get to, but we're at 26 minutes now. So I'm going to, Georgie here is going to be a two-parter. So uh, next week when you hear the podcast, you are going to hear the continuance of this conversation. And uh, we're basically going to talk about some other stuff and uh, a very, a very specific shared experience that me and George had in the movies once. So uh on that note, uh, I'm basically going to cut it there and I'm going to tell everybody if you got anything to say, if you would like to talk, if you would like to come on and be a guest or anything like that, please write me at Pete Bean Pete podcast at gmail.com. That's Pete Bean Pete podcast at gmail.com and, uh, and write me and look, remember something. It is okay to not be okay. And we are all just humans trying to get through this crazy life with all our baggage we have. And so anyway, on that, I'm going to say I'm going to say goodbye. And Georgie is still there. And we when you when you listen to the next episode, we are going to pick up right here.